Well, we're getting pretty late into January 2018 now, so you know what that means. It's time to fry up some mushrooms, put on some Dave Matthews band, and hide a note in the wall. It's Molly Please's discussion of the top 10 movies of 2017, starring Sean Lemmy, John Otney, and Colin Westman. You guys excited to finally put this last year to bed? Sure, but <laughs> like, I feel like it won't get put completely to bed until the Oscars, and that's like two months from now. <laughs> so far from now. It's so weird. I'm still trying to figure out all your references from the beginning. I wasn't sure about the mushroom. Is that the beguiled? No, that's Phantom Threat. Okay, yeah. That could also be the beguiled. The beguiled has a mushroom has thing? A, has a crucial mushroom oh, cooking wow. scene. Wow. So does Phantom Threat. I'll tell you that, John. I know you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> it actually has two crucial mushroom cooking I'll scenes. Make sure, I'll make sure to see that, and you can see the beguiled, and we'll have a conversation about cooking <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> I got the note in the wall. Ghost story. Uh, Dave Matthews Dave band? Matthew, you know, from Lady Bird. Lady Bird. Oh, yeah. All right. Gotcha. Fun to explain those jokes. Yeah. So. <laughs> I wanted to. I don't, you know, I'm not going to pretend I know what's going on. Um, yeah, none of us are. With the government shut down, it's a pretty crazy time we're already living in this year. Um, but you got to admit, you got to admit, 2017 had a lot of fun movies in it. Oh yeah, I feel like the consensus on our blog was that it was a great year for blockbusters, which is really interesting. We're not going to be talking about a whole lot of them, but I mean, I can't remember the last time there were so many big budget superhero movies where I'm like, wow, that was pretty good. That one was pretty good too. It's really like Justice League was really the only one that wasn't that good, and that like wasn't like the worst thing ever made, yeah. right? No, it's um, it was Molly pleased award eligible so it can't have been that bad uh but it was pretty bad but yeah there was like good superhero movies and there weren't even just marvel movies and and like i'm still fine like i just watched war for the planet of the apes like a little more than a week ago after i posted my list that was another like great blockbuster movie yeah as you mentioned phantom thread we just saw that like last weekend and that would have made my list if i'd seen it you know a week earlier when we posted our list. <laughs> yeah. But we want to have our stuff done somewhat relevant to 2017. Sure. Unlike the Oscars. Um, so you you heard it here. We're more relevant than the Oscars. I think so. Mildly <laughs> pleased. Although we're about equally as white as the Oscars tend to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and speaking of that... Um, the first movie I wanted to talk about was uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is the uh, the latest Martin McDonough film starring Frances McDormand as a, uh, a mother who is kind of taking her revenge on the town uh, that she lives in, Ebbing, uh, because um, her daughter's rape and murder has not been solved after months and months um, have passed. And... Um, I feel like there's kind of like a La La Land thing happening where at the time I thought everybody likes this movie, but now it seems like a lot of people really hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, like this was definitely one of the It was also had like the La La Land thing of where like all the reviews from earlier in the year from like the festivals were really positive of it. And then it got a little more mixed as it got the wide release. Um, but I included it on my list because... Um, 
I think what it's doing is it's trying to put you into the headspace of these deeply flawed characters, and that comes off as making the film like feel flawed. Um, but I don't I don't think it is, or at least not that bad. I, like I understand the the criticism of the way that they use um, people of color and racism as sort of token like character attributes to further a white character's story instead of actually fully engaging with them. Um, but I, I think that's okay because they're problematic characters and, you know, we can't expect them to be paragons of virtue and we shouldn't, right? Like this, a, a story about flawed people can be flawed, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is a movie I don't know if I've still even made my mind up about. Like I liked it at the time and I'm not typically like as gung ho as you guys are about the McDonough brothers. But uh I like this one. It it's uh Yeah, it's kind of a tough watch, but it's also like it it, it still has that dark underlying humor running through it. Um yeah, extremely yeah, I, dark. I, I guess I, I do agree, though, with the fact that, like, they could have at least made that cop character who comes in at the end, like, a little more fleshed out instead of just, like, a savior black guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just just give him, like, a, a little bit of some personality <laughs> instead of nothing. Instead of just, like, being, like, aghast in how everything's unfolding. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that. And I guess also that ending it didn't quite feel like an ending or like it should have ended sooner because if it was going to take that extra time that it does it i don't know should have used it a little more i thought the ending was pretty cool because like you expect um mildred to either have her catharsis of like like the guy's finally caught or the other catharsis which is like she's finally able to move on from her problems and similarly they set up the dixon character as like potentially a redemption storyline and they deny that too um and i i feel like the ending is the most powerful part of the movie because it it shows that like a shitty racist idiot can't actually grow up and become a good cop and uh a woman who's maybe been like consumed with rage her whole life just because we're sympathetic to this one part of it doesn't actually turn her into like a great person that you should root for and um and so having them like drive off into the sunset to just go kill a random person maybe or maybe not um is i think a really interesting ending and cemented for me this as a movie about like how blind rage just goes nowhere I really didn't like the ending. Like, it still left a bad taste in my mouth. I don't know. I, I was talking about this like a while back. I think it's something to do with the fact that I feel like, like this is like the real ending, like what would really happen. But at the same time, it's like I feel like these characters are like cartoon characters. Everyone is like so over the top. Like we, we talked about that that chief guy's being one dimensional. I think everyone is one dimensional in this movie. I mean, Mark McDonough came from plays. His characters are big. The way they talk, it feels like a play kind of. Also, it kind of felt like a condensed season of Fargo in one episode, which isn't necessarily like a bad thing. But I don't know. I, I felt like it was the way it was built made it seem like it was building to a payoff, and then to deny 
to deny me that. <laughs> I don't know. But then again, it's like, I don't know how they could. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if there's an ending that could have satisfied all the events that led up to it because they didn't have any evidence. They didn't have anything. But I don't know. That really, that really bugged me for some reason. I like the rest of it, though. It's fine. I'm a big McDonough fan. This is actually... I actually like his other two better, personally. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm in the minority on that. This is probably the your, the, the Oscar frontrunner. I think it's still... Think? It seems like it. Um, yeah. Which is weird to me, but... <laughs> Unless something changes at the SAG Awards, which at the time of this podcast have not um, wrapped up, but they, they will soon, so we'll probably have a very clear picture pretty soon. Certainly one of the Golden Globes, so... It's weird. Do you feel like it's weird that it's that this has become the front runner? Does this feel like an unusual front runner? Does this feel appropriate considering the cultural climate? Yeah, I think it's kind of a weird front runner because, um, I, I I think the cultural climate you're referring to one is, is to right now is one of like empowering women, and there are better movies that represent that in a more wholesome way, like Lady Bird or The Shape of Water, um, and three billboards on the other hand is like about how this woman maybe isn't as great as we want her to be yeah but it's about how women are pissed because women are pissed this year (laughs) i assume they're looking at it on a very surface level way like that (laughs) then yeah well it's the the best at that yeah i don't don't know if there's any wonder woman maybe (laughs) i don't know um but one movie that kind of sidelines its female lead, but uh, introduces another one, is The Big Sick, um, which is a romantic comedy based on the real lives of uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon. How they, um, when they started dating, Emily fell into a coma, and that's kind of how Kumail ended up meeting her parents, um, and it's a big part of their relationship. And of course, that's a very interesting story to see, but. What I loved about The Big Sick was that it was really funny, and there haven't been a ton of good comedies in the past, like, decade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, just really kind of sweet, but also, like, it earns its sweetness because it's it's based on a true story, and it's unconventional uh, in a way that romantic comedies never are and uh i don't know i watching it for the second time i i was kind of impressed that like neither of the characters are necessarily like like perfect they're they're very flawed and like even kumail who you you see him going through this whole thing it's still like he does kind of selfish things hiding like this whole relationship from his family mm-hmm. and and but you still understand kind of both where he's coming from and also where his parents are coming from and it's it has that nice kind of thing where like everybody's in kind of a shitty situation and but you understand why and and you still kind of like them even if they don't make the right choices necessarily mm-hmm. yeah so that broke my heart as he has that that box of the pictures of all the women i feel like one of them confront confronts him on it because you know it's not easy for them they have to they're forced to do this that's their culture and he can just reject people left and right do what he wants so yeah um he's dick (laughs) 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 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big part of the movie that you probably don't pick up on if you just watch the trailer, that there's so much tension with Kumail and his family because obviously, like, they, they obviously wanted him to have this like great American life but are uncomfortable with how American he's become and he's rejecting uh, Islam and he's rejecting their arranged marriages. Um, and so there's that tension that kind of explodes when everything kind of falls apart towards the end of the second act of this movie. Um, and, and that helped for me put it the movie even higher on the list because it dealt with so many themes i mean it also deals with race um and you know becoming a stand-up comic which is not <laughs> quite as heavy as everything else but still like a very that's a very demanding and emotional career choice and it's i like it when you see that played out in movies and tv shows and one of the best drive-through scenes in any movie <laughs> three slices of cheese there's a four yeah my dad used to tell me because of Burger King's like have it your way thing he would always like insist they put a piece of cheese under the patty and on top of the patty uh, I think he got a, I, got, I think he got a two patty burger so it was like three pieces of cheese like one below one in the middle one on top he was like really proud of that it's a lot of cheese <laughs> yeah but it's like have it your way it's like it's basically free yeah <laughs> You have to give specific instructions every time on the placement of the cheese. Oh, yeah. Why would anyone want to do that? Why would you want to be a pain in the ass like that? It's have it your way. That's the policy. Yeah, it's have it your way. Don't be, it's like, don't be a douche. I don't know. I think douche is a little heavy for what he's doing. <laughs> I don't think he's like being a jerk about it. He's just saying that's what I'd like. I'm sure they love doing that. Mix it up. Add a little variety to your life. Um, the next movie, we're still in the B's, we got a while to go, uh, is uh, Blade Runner 2049, um, the much, much later sequel to Blade Runner, a movie that has, I guess it has the benefit of never fully leaving, like, the public awareness because there's like a re-release of Blade Runner every few years. Um, Film students won't shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> Um, but will they shut the fuck up about it now that they have the sequel? I mean, no. They'll, they'll keep talking about it. Just, they have more to talk about now they have this. Oh, no. This they is crazy. This fire. seemed like the worst idea. Like, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, my God. Like, who's this for? It's like, I guess they're just doing it for name recognition. They're getting Harrison Ford. He's so old. He's going to be tired. Oh, my God. But it's like best case scenario. Like, I'm not a huge Blade Runner fan. I don't know. I've, I watched that original movie, and I have like, a lot of admiration for it. But I don't know. I think it's kind of, like, slow. And I don't really like Harrison Ford in it. I mean, he's not really trying in it. He's mm-hmm. gone on record saying that he wasn't trying. Uh, you know, aside from aesthetics, um, yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of it. But this, I don't know. There's something about this movie that I just totally absorbed me. For one, I think seeing, like, all the practical effects... You know, in the 80s, that was a little more common. Now, it's totally uncommon. So to see, like, this huge junkyard place, it's like, that's a real location. Or to see these cool models and ships. And then the story, I, I found that way more engrossing about this, like, this this birth. Like, where did this come from? And the fact that Ryan Gosling was a replicant was, I think, a, a good angle for mm-hmm. them to take. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, with the first Blade Runner, it's interesting because it's, it's sort of... I mean, it's obviously it's a cyberpunk story, but it's it's in the style of a film noir, and it's weird because you're not really rooting for the protagonist, at least compared to the antagonist. Like Roy Batty's a much more compelling character, 
And there's not actually a mystery there because, like, as soon as they put Deckard on the case, they all start showing you what Roy Batty is doing and where he is. <laughs> so you're just you're just kind of waiting for what you know will happen to happen. Um, while 2049, well, I, I don't I didn't see the the big reveal coming. Like I I didn't think that that person would end up being that person. No, of I thought that not. could just be a scene. Um, and that so like I I didn't I didn't know how this one was going to end, and I thought it was really interesting how they like ostensibly the main villain is Jared Leto, right? And motherfucker just isn't around for the end of the movie. It's uh it's really cool, and of course it all ties into this like theme of, that runs through both movies about like what does it mean to be a person i mean if if, if being human isn't necessarily part of that equation anymore mm-hmm. um and so by having a replicant main character like you said it really makes that a, a more interesting question because that was of course where batty was the more interesting one in the first movie anyway yeah and like he he felt things. He had his virtual girlfriend. Yeah. That was kind of sad, but like that was a really interesting concept as well. Like I love that they they took the world, but they built on it a lot. Like they included things like that, things that I could imagine. And they didn't just spend all their time in like this neo noir rain soaked city. They went to other places. You know, they showed there's more to this world. Like the beginning of the film opens in that weird desolate wasteland where. Dave Bautista, what was he doing out there? Was he? He's growing like weird grubs. Weird grubs for people to eat. Yeah, I would never would have imagined that in a Blade Runner movie, but like it makes a lot of sense to have this weird desolate wasteland where some replicants have to go out and live and make you know a living. Yeah, is uh, it just felt really fleshed out. It didn't rely too much on what was already there, so mm-hmm. it felt free to explore. So I'm so excited with Dennis Villeneuve taking on Dune because it's just a big sandbox for him to just get his hands in there and play with things. Literally a sandbox. Literally a sandbox. I just wish more people had responded to this. I feel like critically people liked it, but it certainly wasn't a movie that most people saw. I don't think I know. Like at my work, I don't know anybody who went to go see Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. And I think maybe that goes back to like Blade Runner being that like film students talk about it but does the average person really care about the Blade Runner franchise no yeah it felt appropriate I suppose <laughs> like I, I guess I'm just surprised that they spent like 150 billion dollars or whatever on this movie when it's like how could they possibly expect it to make money yeah. it, I mean Blade Runner is a total movie that like people discovered on VHS and it, I don't know it just doesn't seem like a movie for people who go out into the world to see <laughs> movies like so I, I am kind of assuming this movie will have that kind of yeah reputation. People are going to want it to show off how good their 4K TVs look. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to have mad respect for them not caving and not making it like a conventional like action blockbuster. Oh, it's yeah. still like a slow burn. Even like the most probably like action-packed sequence, I don't know, arguably that uh, that hotel slash casino where Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford are like after each other. Yeah, that part was great. They go into that weird like performance hall dining area and it's like silence and then Elvis hologram bursts out, and then it cuts to silence it's like so jarring it's like it's so cool it's it's such a it's such a cool slow burn 
and that's something that's so rare to see in a movie of that scale Mm -hmm. yeah i think when when i first heard about this i definitely was thinking like this would be like the total recall remake (laughs) like that that style of movie um so what a pleasant surprise truly a delight like call me by your name i don't know if it's a delight this movie made me really sad did it it did make me sad that last that last shot of uh the boy timothy chalamet crying and then just the credits playing over that that and sufjan stevens ultimate cry music mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because i didn't expect to like this movie so much because it kind of starts out like oh he's some, like some like rich kid he gets to do holidays in france and there's some like other handsome like white guy uh, Italy, right? He speaks it, oh, French. Oh, Italy, excuse me. He speaks French, but you're, you're correct. It is Italy. But I don't know. That relationship, as it unfolded, it felt really genuine. And, you know, I got attached to those characters being attached to each other. And to see them drift apart like that was really, was really, was really sad. And there's that great speech. I can't remember any of it. But Michael Stuhlbarg has a fantastic moment talking about just love. And, and life. He's, he's glad that he had, his son had that experience. Yeah. For me, that's what made the movie not sad, though, because I look at that ending monologue, and I think he's—I don't think he's—I don't think he's telling the truth when he says things like the romance you had with Army Hammer is like a once in a lifetime. Like I personally have never experienced that romance. It's something he says as a man who's like been happily married for like thirty years or whatever. Um, I, to me, it's more like he's—he's he's saying like I am an understanding and open father, and I support you, and I love you, and I want to take care of you, and I want. To I want to help you get through the pain of this relationship going away. But I I think like this is a story about like the ideal like dream perfect summer fling. And like maybe that would have turned out into a like committed permanent lasting relationship, but maybe not. And it's kind of beautiful that it could just be that like summer relationship that he'll always have as this perfect moment in his life in his memory you know and and that's what i saw on on his face as the credits rolled was was the main character who i can't elio right elio, yeah. uh was like coming to terms with his sadness that like that potential life that he imagined will never happen but also that that great summer did yeah, I mean, I, st- I, I still, it's hard for me not to feel for him in that moment. He's definitely vulnerable in that moment. And, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. There's no sequel. There's no Call Me By Your Name 2049 yet. <laughs> call Me By Your Last Name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm kind of a shot at that. <laughs> Where I, 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 after that, that last exchange between Michael Stuhlbarg and uh, Timothy Chalamet, I guess I was just thinking, like, you know, this kid he'll find he'll find other people (laughs) like you you can definitely read in his face like yes this is the most heartbreaking moment in his life up to this point but i guess just having that knowledge of an older man talking to a younger man with that kind of confidence is just like he's leading him along knowing that like things will be all right even though he's like trying to comfort him in that moment Mm -hmm. but you know it's just cool that i guess you could read that ending multiple ways well he really sells that part he's a, it's a complex performance there's a lot going on there i was really hoping that, that would be like the front runner at the the, the oscars or the award show it's not like it matters but like I, I, it was just because he has to like get naked and he's he, he does um gay love scenes and he's, he's a straight man 
and um, he speaks different languages in the film. He plays piano and guitar, which he did not know how to do before. Really? Wow. And it's like they're going to give it to Gary Oldman for putting on a fat suit. <laughs> Despite the fact that there's hundreds of actual fat British actors that could have done that. You tell me Brendan Gleeson was busy, was busy that day? I'll wait till I've seen Darkest Hour, but I'm just saying. But you this, won't. This is... I don't know. So you'll never know. Maybe, maybe. But this is my favorite performance of the year, so I think it's another reason why I really liked this movie. Do you know that the director of Call Me By Your Name's next project is a remake of Suspiria? I did not know that. I think it comes out next year pretty soon it's got it's like got a 2019 or like this year like or in this the next year, year. I, keep, I keep doing that this year yeah i think so it might get pushed but it's got like a full cast and everything and huh. i feel like there's only room for improvement with that movie because that that original movie is like such a fucking mess it's beautiful <laughs> but it's a fucking mess but it is a work of art just like the city of columbus <laughs> <laughs> that's how artsy people talk yeah, they're really excited about it. Um, yeah, I feel like <laughs> on my list most years, there's usually a movie that's just two people talking for the entire film. <laughs> and uh, But this one, it, it definitely kind of, for me, transcends the sort of like before series template. Um, for one, just because the look of it is kind of amazing, just using the very sort of I don't know, straight and rectangular architecture that uh, you see in Columbus, Indiana. And uh, also, Huge distinction. Yeah. Not Columbus, Ohio. Not Columbus, Ohio. I don't know I'm what sure it's goes equally beautiful. We can only assume, because <laughs> who knows anything about Columbus, Ohio, or Columbus, Indiana, for that matter. I didn't know it was known for its architecture before that. Uh, and I, I really like the... The relationship at the heart of this, um, an older man and a younger woman who both kind of bond over over architecture, which is not something I would have thought to care about <laughs> usually, but I love the way the, the movie kind of makes you care about it through Haley Lou Richardson's uh, enthusiasm for it and John Cho being like, yeah, I can recognize the greatness, but like, who gives a shit? This is my dad's bullshit <laughs> and I, I liked how they kind of dealt with the fact that with a relationship like that you're always thinking like oh are they gonna get together or not and I think the movie does it in a really kind of classy subtle way and uh, yeah it's a cool debut feature yeah by a video essay guy from the internet yeah Ko- Who knew? Oh, I can't remember his name. Kogonada. There you go. I'm staring at the IMDb page. You know, it's, it's funny. That's a Japanese-sounding name, at least. I don't know if he is Japanese. Um, obviously, the characters in this are Korean, so yeah. you'd think probably he's Korean. But hearing your take on Columbus definitely, for me, it makes you think, oh, you like this movie in the, for the exact same reasons I like Lost in Translation. Um, maybe it's just I'm more interested in Tokyo than I am uh, Columbus, Indiana, that it kept this one from my list, but basically I could have taken exactly what you said and applied it to Lost in Translation. Hmm. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> you think Mike Pence saw this movie? No. I bet he's, he's from never, there. I bet he's never even heard of it. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, he sucks. <laughs> I got a fun fact for you about Columbus, Ohio, too. Uh, birthplace of Arlstein. Wow. 
Well, uh, Goosebumps movie didn't take place there, though. So. Do you imagine another, like, the sequel where they're just walking around going to R.L. Stein's like, old stomping grounds? <laughs> be like, wow. Like, there's a bunch of haunted houses and graveyards and stuff. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, this, this is so spooky, it's exquisite. Uh, well, of course, the sequel to Goosebumps is Horror Land, all right? Yeah. I assume that'll be on your... My most, that'll be on my most anticipated list. <laughs> sure. They got Jack Black. He's back, guys. Uh, thank F thank God. They almost didn't get him back. They had to get someone else. I don't know who you recast for Jack Black. There's no one out there. Uh, Josh Gad. Save some money. <laughs> uh, but he's got to, like, straighten his hair. Uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> got to... Tame those curls. <laughs> that costs money, guys. Just like Dunkirk. Uh huh. So expensive, maybe. I don't know. It looked expensive. It's all practical. I don't know if that's more. Mo- a lot of it's practical. Well, I mean, I don't want to see like the planes and. Stuff you don't think like... they actually got in? Uh, t- you don't think Tom Hardy learned how to fly a jet and fly it around? I bet he did it. He's pretty intense. But... <laughs> you saw those planes. It's just like a big crank and a yoke, right? Yeah. <laughs> just like turn it on and drive. I loved how this movie reminded me that like actual uh, airplane gunfire sounds pretty lame. <laughs> from at least from that era, it's just like. And also, I'm sure in Pearl Harbor, it's like. You had to have such good eyes, too. I couldn't believe those dogfights. They were yeah. just like a mile apart from each other. Like, <laughs> oh, down he goes. Shit. That's all they had. Um, this is a movie that only made my list. And I get the complaints with it. Like, I realize they don't really flesh out any of the characters really at all. But I was, uh, I was okay with that. I, I love the fact that actually the movie just places you in the action from the start. I mean, it starts with just a guy running and you don't even know why and then you kind of get why he's running and it's just like I, I knew going into it that what the stakes were. I, I knew this is war. It's all about survival really because that's all these guys can do and uh, just that kind of controlled chaos for me really worked in this movie um yeah i i had a really thrilling time i'll admit like the different timelines had me a little confused at times exactly what was going on but that more just makes me want to see it again yeah i remember they do put something on the screen but it's kind of obtuse like the first time you see one it's just like one week or like one day or like one hour right yeah and you're just like from what from what <laughs> has it been has a week passed what's going on yeah but then eventually you're like oh, oh i see what they're doing <laughs> yeah that's probably one of the reasons why i wasn't super into it also because i'm a big dummy because like i don't really know anything about like the actual event mm-hmm. and aside from, there's a little text at the beginning but there wasn't anything at the end so like i personally don't really like have any context like for like how this was important or how it changed the war and not knowing that and then also not having characters to attach myself to like it's hard for me to know like why it was a story that needed to be told like i don't know is, is it just an, a, an opportunity to show like what war is like or is there something else that i'm missing like i don't know because i don't know anything about it <laughs> 
Uh, well, I mean, that's there wouldn't have been a resistance in Europe if there hadn't been the Dunkirk evacuation. Well, I just learned that right now. Yeah, <laughs> that was basically the entire. Maybe I should have watched Darkest Hour. As, uh, to, uh, <laughs> or Atonement. That. Remember Atonement? That had a Dunkirk scene. Uh, yeah. like eleven years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember all of that. Um, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the technical aspects of Christopher Nolan's filmmaking, which are like at their peak in Dunkirk, and um, the score as well is like the tensest score ever because it's basically just like one note getting higher and higher and higher pitched for the entire movie um but i had kind of the same problem as john where i I, like at the end of the movie i was kind of like well okay so what so these guys now have to go back to the war is basically the ending of the film um and I, I just I had a hard time reading if Christopher Nolan was like saying like war is bad or war is good like that very like fundamental question because like it's kind of like yay these guys get to go back to war it is what it is <laughs> that's what he was trying to say yeah maybe that's it maybe he was like I've got 500 million dollars to make this movie so I better not piss anyone off yeah I mean I guess it's, it's hard to make a film that's about one specific event that's kind of near the start of the war where there's like not a end in sight really so you kind of have to leave it like that like it's like these people survived but they're they're (laughs) they got a rough road ahead of them and i I don't know it felt right to me considering the subject matter but I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Florida Project is on all of our lists. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to just talk about movies that only were on my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Florida Project was this great movie about... Um, How Florida sucks. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> it's only a part of it, like... It's like one of those definitely one of those films where it's like the town's kind of like a character too. It's like mm. you have these like pastel colored buildings, but like there's also like all these abandoned houses, and it's weird how it's like it's right next to like Disney World, but it's also like just a, like a lot of seedy characters that kind of populate the area, and it's almost like a lot of people just kind of leech off the fact Disneyland's nearby, and like you know sell like knockoff tickets or steal shit, and but it's also I guess a film about like just growing up. And yeah, like this is uh, like when I went into this, I was like, oh man, am I gonna hate these kids? Am I gonna like these kids? Because it's tricky when you make kids your star, especially kids that aren't professional actors. But it all felt like stuff that kids go through for the most part, and like it was totally believable. And they were definitely pretty annoying sometimes, but like his <laughs> kids it, are it annoying. made a lot of sense. <laughs> it was amazing how they just nailed like these all feel like real people. You're like, I know that's Willem Dafoe, but it just seems like some dude who just, like, works at this uh, complex. <laughs> it's crazy to have that sense of just g- that genuine feel. Like, it's almost like it's a documentary or something. It's, it's crazy. Like, I don't, how, I don't even know how you go about writing that or how do you go about f- casting that. It's a mystery to me. It's beautiful, too. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, I mean, isn't the story of the, the mom actress that she was, like, an Instagram star yeah. or yeah. something? Yeah. <laughs> like, Sean Baker just 
contact her on Instagram, which sounds like the beginning of some sort of creepy thing, but no, it's like I think you should be in this movie. And you know, she was an impressional actress, but she did a great job. I thought she should have been considered for more uh, awards because I was like, oh, I, I feel for sure that's actually some person they found like living in that area, like the streets of Florida and stuff. But someone who became a character. Um, yeah, and the- if she's anything at all different from how that character is, she deserves to win the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> just... And it's just also interesting that this movie isn't boring or anything, considering it, it doesn't. It's kind of just free form. It's kind of mm-hmm. just. It's very Call Me by Your Name. It's like this is a memorable summer in this child's life, but instead of it being romantic, it's because it's the summer that her family fell apart. <laughs> what about the ending? I guess about the ending. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard story to end. It doesn't really have a, you know. I, I like the ending. I, I think I like it in the long term. When I was watching, it didn't feel like the end, but I guess it has to end somewhere. I mean, yeah, it is a little jarring, but I, I don't know. I got kind of an emotional gut punch from it just because it, it is very sort of a fairy tellish ending. But you know, in the back of the mind, back of your mind, that this is fake or this is, they will just end up in a lot of trouble or whatever it is the ending after the ending isn't good but like just to have that moment i felt was nice i guess that's what worked for me is seeing them in a context that i was familiar with after spending the whole movie with them in a context that i'm not uh even though for them it's like going from the harsh reality to fantasy for them it was for me it was like watching them come into reality and just like knowing like oh shit things are gonna be so bad for these kids um but maybe not maybe they could be better like maybe they'll just live at disneyland (laughs) or disney world or you know maybe they'll end up with good foster parents that actually give a shit (laughs) although statistically that's not what happens just they switched to an iphone for that part too yes yes ugly (laughs) no i I love that sean baker is like because he came from like doing more conventional productions he used to work on like greg the bunny right i don't know if he's greater oh he used to work on that <laughs> and now he's like shooting stuff on iphones and just telling these like humanist these human stories you yeah know? there's not a lot of other people doing that right now so props to him props to his cast and crew caleb lander jones is also in our next movie that's his name yeah right? yeah also an american made it was a good year for him really yeah that was, but that wasn't uh, part of this or uh, Miley Please Award, Sean. How was American made? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I, someone else told me it was pretty good. I, I, yeah. I, I figure it's probably pretty good. You guys ready to talk about Get Out? Get Out! This was like my, one of my favorite movie-going experiences of the year. I saw like a pre-screening. like a, It was a while before it came out. And uh, people were just like losing their shit. They're having such a good time. Because that last like half hour is just like, ah, it's just craziness. But I just love how high concept it is. It's so cool to get a horror movie that's actually scary, that's actually, like, has a lot to dwell on and think about. Like, The Sunken Place, for me, is, like, the most terrifying concept I can think of where someone, like, basically sinks you into your own body and then takes over your body where you're, like, a passenger in your own body. Like, and that's, like, kind of silly and the fact that this movie includes, like, brain surgery and stuff. Like, I'm buying all of it, you know? It's, it, 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 it works. I think it's because, like, it... it goes so well with the themes of the movie and um it's 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 nice to have this this perspective which is something we haven't really had like a a horror movie about like race i don't think at least not that i can think of certainly not one that's made this kind of impact yeah certainly not a like 
white liberal racism. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I heard a funny comment too about like white people that see this like if you feel sorry for like the deer that got killed at the beginning like if that's the first thing you say after you see the movie then you're racist because like <laughs> there's so many other worse things that happen in the movie if that's the thing you're caught up on because like white people just don't understand what that's like and to kind of get a glimpse into it even if it's an extreme kind of exploration of that I don't know it's, it's eye opening I think and that movie's just like endlessly like creative and detailed. There's still things I think I've seen it three times now. There's still things that I'm I didn't notice like the first time I saw it, like at the end where he's like stuck in that chair and the um like takes the stuff out of the chair and stuffs it in his ears and it's cotton. Mm-hmm. He picks cotton out of the chairs. It's just there's so many little things like that <laughs> that um yeah to discover and. Uh, I'm glad it has like a happy ending relatively too because I don't know if you guys know there's another ending shot that you yeah. can see as well where he cops show up and he goes to jail which is probably the real ending but then once Jordan Peele saw that Donald Trump was going to be president he decided to change it T.S. motherfucking A it's funny too great, great comedy according to the Golden Globes right <laughs> <laughs> funniest movie of the year yeah yeah, but uh, I I just the TSA stuff is really good because like it's really what good. a I, what I, a great like way to like this organization that everybody hates <laughs> and they're just like people doing their jobs just like anything else. Well, I enjoyed their being humored at too, just because I feel like it makes it a little easier to swallow kind of the more crazy aspects of this movie because you're it's just like it's in a heightened universe and. Uh, but an all-too-real universe as well. I don't know. Uh, another movie, also in a heightened universe, but also a real universe, is A Ghost Story. Because it's about what it's like to be a ghost, which is not a real thing, probably. But this movie definitely like felt like what it would be like to be an actual ghost, where it's just kind of a lot of waiting and a lot of not knowing why you're here or where you're going uh this one for me was one of my favorite movie going experiences just because we saw it at the seattle international film festival with a sold out audience on a friday night and also the director david lowry was there and yeah do you have a giant mustache I think so. Okay, good. He had a must, what, a giant mustache. I don't know if it's, what what constitutes a giant mustache, like coming off of your face. Yeah, three dimensional mustache. Yeah, I don't think he had that big of a mustache. Like Yosemite Sam. No, he had the regular mustache. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, I love seeing it just because uh, it's such a slow, quiet movie, and everybody was like going along with it. They, they, I mean, I feel like if I saw that movie in a regular like multiplex theater, everybody would be walking out of it by the end of it. But at a film festival, you know, everybody's there to see adventurous cinema, so they stuck with it, and and just like that experience of just sitting quietly watching this thing with you know over a hundred people is pretty awesome totally it was people were just on board they're like fuck it man it's got weird rounded corners it's shot full screen yeah what was that like in a theater i wonder 
it was like, wow, that's really not taking up a lot of the screen. Because <laughs> <laughs> I watched it. Let it go. It was even weird watching it on, on, a, on a good TV. Yeah, everything's widescreen these days. Even if you watch it on your phone, you'll be like, eh, it's not using up the whole phone. It kind of made me feel like it was almost like a silent movie, you know? And, it, and it's a very visual movie at that, yeah. too. So it works really well. It's a lot of visual storytelling. Um, but, like, a lot of the concepts in it, I'm like... I, you know it's funny this this movie scares me too but like in a way more philosophical deeper way like cosmic terror like think about like when you're dead how like you kind of lose concept of time like how he's like digging at the wall and then suddenly like a whole new family lives there and then there's like a building being built there and then it goes keeps going so far and then time just loops yeah it definitely reminds you of your own impermanence and meaninglessness in the grand scheme of things or that part where he sees the other ghost and he's like you know he's like i'm waiting for someone it's like who are you waiting for it's like i can't remember like i forgot yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> luckily this movie like kind of has like a happy ending for what it is which yeah. is interesting like i didn't think that would be possible like halfway through i'm like oh my god where is this going yeah it very easily could have had an ending where it's just like nothing nothing matters we all die, and who gives a shit? But you know, it's a closure in a, in a nice way. What about the pie? You guys like that scene a lot? I didn't think. I feel like people were blow, blow right out of proportion, make it seem like it was this crazy thing. Uh, I mean, I had the distinguished privilege of going into that movie without knowing there was going to be a pie scene, <laughs> yeah. so that it's, was very surprising. It is, yeah. Surprising. You don't expect it. It's, it's a little odd. Like, oh, she's just eating this pie. What's up with that? The first pie ever. Not bad, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as as the you know the movie gets like slower and slower and slower paced up until the pie scene, which is the longest scene in the movie, and then time starts to go faster and faster and faster as the Casey Affleck character eases into ghost life. Hashtag ghost life. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it's a bizarre scene to make the the center piece of your film, but um, I don't know, it worked. I wasn't, I was not bored, and I guess maybe part of it is because I was lucky enough to be in that situation <laughs> where everybody was into the movie, and there were a lot of people. It definitely adds a dimension of reality to the movie, kind of from the start, because having a ghost at the same movie is such a supernatural thing and you kind of see like oh we're, we're seeing what would what would happen because I mean yeah when you're gr- dealing with grief nobody ever talks about those weird moments where you are just eating a pie alone in a room because <laughs> it's not sexy at all it's just the saddest shit ever but it happens also it's like it's it's good that the movie's not really dramatic. Like it's not it's not like Casey Affleck had leukemia or something. It's like dude got in a car accident and didn't make it. Yeah. And like shit shit just happens. And it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Was David Lowry's first film similar to this? Is it comparable? Like in Is terms that of style? Yeah. It uh, is kind of. I mean it is a more sort of meditative spin on the western but it's yeah yeah i mean there's nothing supernatural about it and i guess it just didn't seem to quite break out from its subject matter 
and this one has kind of such distinct it's just such a distinct story that it's telling that it worked a lot more for me um it, you know I, I could see it it makes sense that they're from the same director I just wonder if I should see because I'm like I'm starting to get interested in this director yeah. he's got an upcoming project another A24 produced film from next year with uh, Robert Redford as like a career criminal that sounds interesting and then after that he's going to do Peter Pan but, the, <laughs> but he, like he said like the whole reason he needed Pete's Dragon is like oh so I could have you know money to do my own stuff too so that's cool so I think he's going to have a very interesting career of like big like Disney blockbusters and then these small like A24 movies mm-hmm. our next movie is an A24 movie too um, i just like to take a moment to like do you guys realize how many good A24 <laughs> movies there were yeah. this year I'm looking at all the movies that they came out with this year you have uh, Ghost Story we're just going to talk about Good Time Florida Project Killing of Sacred Deer Lady Bird Disaster Artist Comes at Night it's crazy and I think next year is going to be good too but let's talk about another A24 movie in good time good times. would you describe the movie as a good time dun, 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 yes dun, but dun, also dun, no dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh. this, this is another it's just, it, it just goes from the start <laughs> like it, it's like the stakes are high this guy doesn't know what he's doing but he's just going to keep pushing himself farther and farther to get what he wants even though it's like it's, it's not worth it dude um but uh, yeah you just you just see the consequences coming from a mile away but it, it's still like i wouldn't call it predictable you you still are kind of on the edge of your seat kind of guessing how is he gonna you know prolong not getting arrested there's some pretty amazing twists and turns on this journey yeah we go on uh i'm i did not expect what happens in that house that they hide out in after the hospital to happen at all i that that never occurred to me as a possibility I talk about spoilers here you mean he brings home the wrong guy he brings home the wrong guy from the hospital he's like what the fuck am i doing here who the fuck are you so good it's like so stressful but it moves so quick that you don't really have time to like get stressed out about it you're like shit you gotta keep moving so he's like okay we're gonna go get some fast food and I'm gonna drop you off in the hospital yeah I feel like the, the Robert Pattinson game makes a lot of dumb decisions they feel like that that all appropriate to that character like I feel like I almost know this person like doing all these dumb things after another but like so confident believing that he's the smartest guy in the room in every situation Oh man, yeah. This is my probably like my second favorite performance of the year. How come there's no awards buzz for this? Why? It's too gritty. It's too gritty, man. Yeah. Ron Pattinson's <laughs> too dirty. so good in this. The guy plays his brother's pretty good too. He's like the co-director, right? Yeah. Co-director. That's crazy. Um, yeah, no, this was like, like I was saying, it's like stressful, but it's like moves so quick that like you don't have time to be stressed about it. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like yeah, the ending is like there's no other way. Like he's only gonna build like a super happy ending or something. He, he runs into Disney World and everything. <laughs> happy music plays. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. <laughs> Definitely one. It's like why is this on this list? Because you love. I it. love it so much. It's so weird because I'm I, I like the I like most of the Marvel movies, but I really like Guardians of the Galaxy. 
you know, it's the characters, they're funny. Uh, I like this one because it wasn't about magic rocks. I liked the uh, the music. I love the music. Every time one of these comes out, I gotta make a new playlist. I just have like such a good time, and it's I have such a good time, not like the good time of good time. <laughs> That after I see the movie, I have this weird period where I kind of feel kind of sad. It's like, well, there's that's that's the end of that experience, you know. I gotta wait for another one to be made, or I don't know. It's it's weird, but yeah. And I saw it twice, which I don't you normally see movies twice. It's just something about it really connects me. I think it's because I liked James Gunn before. Like I was a, I was a supporter of him before this, back when he's doing like Slither and Super and all his crazy weird shit with like trauma. And to see that now he's got this, he's at this point in his career where he can be like the solo writer on a big Marvel movie and pretty much have it be his creative vision. It, it, I don't know. It's one of the few Marvel movies where I feel like this is like like almost solely the product of this director, this this one creative force. I mean, I guess you could say maybe the Avengers at some point were like all Joss Whedon. So. Yeah, but I mean, Joss Whedon was was playing with characters that you know John Favreau that's a good, and other that's characters. a good point like these basically characters that James Gunn invented yeah they're not they're, some of them are pretty different from how they are in the yeah, comics yeah and they suck and the comics <laughs> suck but no you got Chris Pratt and he's super likable Dave Bautista he's super likable I never thought I'd have two Dave Bautista movies yeah. on my list at the end of the year with Blade Runner as well you got Vin Diesel in just the right dosage He's not seen. His voice is heavily manipulated. Sound different. That's that's your best video. And and then you got like America's dad's friend and Kurt Russell. I love Kurt Russell. Except he's the bad guy. What interesting twist on what I thought I knew. And and some of the like lesser known actors are fucking killing it in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two too. Like Sean Gunn. Yeah, it's pretty really good. great. Whoever that actor was that was playing Taserface, that guy was pretty funny too. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, Michael Rooker is that? Oh yeah, he was like as only like in a James Gunn movie could Michael Rooker be one of the main characters who was like super likable and super likable. You root for him, you love him. Best line in the film with I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> one person not doing a good job, Sylvester Stallone. Not his fault necessarily. <laughs> All right. He's doing a job. Because he's just like, oh, on the Battle of Quasar on planet. It's like, this is stupid. This is dumb. But it's funny that he's in it. Yeah. And Can't go in cash reunion. That's sort true, of. yeah. And uh, I'm interested to see if they do play with that like original team. Because uh, they had also Ving Rhames and Michelle Yeoh as other members. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about how they're going to fit into this Infinity War movie. It's got me nervous. Seems weird. It seems weird that it's like they're you're there. adding a team to another team, and they're they're definitely gonna have like their scene that has like music that's integral to their scene mm. too. <laughs> we get to see the first track from Peter's Zune. What if like <laughs> Thanos is just like on his way to Earth, and they run to the Guardians, and he just kills all the Guardians, and just keeps going to Earth? Oh yeah, that'd be pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd like that at all. <laughs> But I don't know. That's how the movie has stakes, John. That's how you know it's real. Yeah, but Marvel always continues to surprise you. They seem to have a, such a good hold on. Great year for them. Thor Ragnarok was fantastic. Spider-Man Homecoming, out of nowhere, was great. Yeah, I feel so dumb that like Spider-Man Homecoming was like in the running for my top ten. It's like Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Like if you told me that at the time of like 
Amazing Spider-Man 2 that I have a Spider-Man movie that might be my top down thing. What are you talking about? You're terrible. Don't worry. They'll fuck it up with Venom. They'll fuck it up with Venom. Okay, yeah. They're due. Well, that's a... No, yeah, they'll fuck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Nancy Kerrigan got fucked up, right, guys? That's not a joke. I'm sorry. That was a tragic thing. Yeah, I, I, Tanya... um, Now, there's a movie for, like today like very much a like a, a story about America um, and like one of the most powerful scenes in Itonia is, is when Tanya says that, like everyone who's watching on TV you're my abuser too it's not it's not just my mom or my ex-husband uh, or even like the IOC like we all participated well I mean not I guess we were little kids who didn't watch figure skating. We didn't really participate, but we did know enough mm-hmm. to villainize Tanya Harding. Um, and, and the movie takes a complicated but sympathetic point of view that suggests that like she was someone who was an outsider because she was like poor and a redneck and as a result was just never welcomed in like the most elitist judgmental sport on the planet. Um and then so when she's associated with this like insane story like this could have been an American crime story season um, <laughs> they take her down even though that's probably not very fair I guess is my stance now I guess I'm I'm kind of pro Tanya Harding having seen this movie yeah and I think the movie is as well and it, it... Yeah, it just kind of paints everyone around her as kind of these idiots just trying to make a, I don't know, get ahead off of her one thing that she's good at, which no one around her is even relatively talented at anything in the way that she is. And um, yeah, I I really love the fact that it, it, it... it was a very fun movie that has like this very kinetic style to it and is a comedy but at the same time it is almost like (laughs) indicting you for enjoying it as much as you are because like it doesn't shy away from the fact that she was abused by her boyfriend and and by her mom and it's just like yeah it's a it's a great way of like (laughs) Have you know eating your cake, but like also getting sick off of your cake because you shouldn't be enjoying your cake that much. I believe we're going with pies for this podcast. Pies, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, and of course it complicates it all by also saying that like this is based on interviews with the people involved yeah. in the story, and there are moments where like like Tanya Harding shoots shotgun at one point and then looks at the camera and says, "This never happened." Um, <laughs> Which to me that kind of reminded me of, um, I was going to say the big sick, the big short, yeah. um, the from a few years ago, which also had a very like fun, because coming from a comedy director, uh, like approach to this devastating thing that happened to our country, and here it's it's on a more personal scale, um, but yeah, I really I really like this movie, it's really good. Okay. Uh, John hasn't seen it, so I can't say anything. It's fine. Not a word. Yeah, not. Well. I know the director that did Mr. Woodcock. Wow. He's really turned it around. Did you know that the main character in 
Phantom Thread is named Mr. Woodcock. <laughs> oh, it all makes so much sense now. It does. It does make a lot of sense. When you watch Phantom Thread, you're like, oh, I get it. His name's Woodcock. Like, <laughs> trust me, you'll get it. Um, but a movie that you don't need to have explained is Lady Bird, because it's just, it's just great. Mm-hmm. Next, <laughs> yeah, I don't like. I don't feel like I need to say anything about it because I probably can't. I just uh, it's like the first movie in years I've seen a second time in theater, and I would like to see it again. I definitely like feel like it's one of those movies that it will be very easy to put on and enjoy, just scene for scene, just because all the characters are so great and it's really funny and like. It feels like an achievement to me for a movie to be this funny, but also have this much depth to it. Um, it, it, Yeah, there are just so many tiny moments where are are really like emotionally potent moments, but they're just like kind of just just again just moments in in a larger scheme. And it's like every character seems like they have their own story to tell. Like no one's really brushed off in this movie, which is great mm. even if they only have like one scene you're still like oh, okay i know who that guy is um yeah like rain wilson and juno <laughs> not as much but uh, well i guess that you're just like oh that guy's a dick and he uses lots of stupid slang <laughs> home skillet uh, <laughs> yeah i uh, Obviously, it was my number one movie of the year. Mm-hmm. Did you feel any sort of special connection to it because of that Northern California vibe that's so important to it? Not really, because I I never even stopped in Sacramento. I've driven through it, but it's just like I, I think I went to school with some people who were from around Sacramento, and they're just like, "Yeah, there's not much to do in Sacramento." <laughs> I guess I related to it on that level where I knew where the characters were coming from when Sacramento's like a big city, but it doesn't have a reputation for being much of anything. <laughs> uh, but I did relate to it on the fact that it took place in like the early 2000s. So it's like, they got internet, but it's not great internet. Nope. <laughs> they still got CD wallets that they're flipping through, <laughs> having people judge them. Yeah, I know, of course, there's universal stuff about like coming of age, uh, about relationships with your friends and trying to make new friends and having your first boyfriend and, of course, your relationship with your parents, um, which this movie, like, it goes the distance and actually, like, follows. It, likes the, it makes the parents' main characters, not just foils, um, which is great because, like, as an adult member of the audience, like, they're <laughs> super sympathetic, like... Like, but you see why Lady Bird villainizes them, but you get, like, they're doing their best. They're just trying so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny. Yeah, I'm all about it. <laughs> all right. Moving from my number one movie of the year to John's number one oh, movie of the year. this is weird how that happened. The Shape of Water. Wow, yeah, for like a fan of Guillermo del Toro and a fan of fantasy and a fan of horror, this was just just the best for me. This was such a great experience to have a, a movie that's like a, a romance story, but it's also like a classic, almost universal monster movie, and it's all practical, and it just, 
and it's just like a fairy tale. There's just so much I love about. It. Like, uh, leave it to Guillermo del Toro to make a uh, a dance sequence in black and white with a fish man. Like, uh, like the most emotional moment for me of the year. Like, to, like that should have been really stupid. And I'm sure some people thought that was really stupid. <laughs> but how that really, I don't know. I felt a real deep personal connection to that because like monsters are such a part of my life and my upbringing and something that my dad passed on to me and like made me appreciate all those old black and white monster movies and old classic movies and i love that guillermo del toro the first thing he did in his golden glow speech was like you know think thinking his monsters mm-hmm. it's just such a quirky well he said it was like it's like quirky little tales you know and this is one of his quirkiest and yeah it just it all felt right for me i just had such a such a grand time i'm curious john what you think of um the romance in this movie specifically are you in the camp that um the asset is in fact a god uh who's capable of complex human emotion or are you in the more he's more of an animal with powers and the connection he has uh with the main character is more just that like she's what or he's what she needs, but it's not maybe as a mutual relationship. That's a good question. I didn't. I haven't. Really, I didn't really thought about that. I guess probably the the former. I'd probably lean towards. He's like a god. Um, I feel like a lot of people were really turned off by the sexuality, but I was like, no, do it, fish. <laughs> this is a this is a love story. Show it. All right. Yeah. This is what it's all about. Yeah, and I love the I love the characters. I love that. Um, this is a movie that has a a mute woman. A black woman and a gay man, and they have all the dialogue pretty much mm-hmm. for the most part. You know, uh, all three times, three kinds of people who would have been who would have been misrepresented or not underrepresented. I mean, at a time like that in America. So, and, uh, and then there's Michael Shannon, this bad guy, and I feel like a lot of people didn't really like him, but I don't know. I liked him a lot. I liked having those weird random scenes where it's like, let's watch him buy a Cadillac. I mean, so many other kinds of movies I feel like wouldn't have gone to any effort to make that character anything more than just the bad guy that's got to get the asset they try to show him oh he's a family man he's trying to be the american man yeah. he's trying to be so many other things like or like um richard jenkins trying to sell his artwork and then showing how that doesn't work out it, it just felt like a fleshed out story and i can i can understand if people think that stuff feels like filler it feels like they could have cut that and 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 honed in on something more uh specific because i feel like a lot of people had a problem with like this movie seems to kind of hit on so many different kinds of things it doesn't seem to be super focused on something but i don't know i i i that didn't bother me so much no i think society is a, is the villain in this movie more than anything and and so it was like like guillermo knows how to make a like one-dimensional like look at pan's labyrinth that is a villain who is just a bad dude there's really nothing to like about him and he doesn't do that in the shape of water he makes the michael shannon character somebody who like like you said is getting like smashed and manipulated by the american dream by fucking car dealerships and there's that other scene uh, where he's talking with like the general or whatever that's in charge and he's like i've like never failed you at anything ever can't is can't isn't there some respect between us can't can't it just can't you trust me and the guy's just like nope never fail that's the american way and um and of course he's got like the disgusting finger injury know, that he's right? covered it's like all pussing and oozing and then he just fucking breaks it off 
I love that even in a romantic fantasy movie, Guillermo del Toro still gotta be like, okay, but this guy's gonna get, like stabbed in the face, and this guy's gotta break his finger off. What's with the game? People get stabbed in the face. Remember, this guy gets stabbed in the face in Pan's Labyrinth too. And we'll, we'll also Ooh. eat a cat's head off at one point. Oh too. my god, so gross. But you know that's his thing. It's like gothic horror fantasy. You know, a lot of a lot of those old like like fables that I feel like he bases his work on and, and the fairy tales are pretty dark themselves. Like a little German yeah. shit with oh, like yeah. guys chopping off kids' hands and stuff. So <laughs> it feels right to make it violent. So also, so you said spoilers are okay, right? Yeah, yeah. Shape of Water. Big question for me. Is the main character someone who was always a fish person, and that's why she had those scars that became gills, or was that just poetic that those scars became gills at the end? Mm, I think it's probably more poetic, but I think it's also up to interpretation. You can probably come up with whatever you want because I think it's very easy to say like, "Oh, she was a fish out of water her whole life." Yeah, I, well, yeah, get, sure. Get it? Fish <laughs> it's out not. Of it's not like super subtle about stuff like yeah. that, you know. Um, yeah. Look forward to seeing it again. Uh, there's going to be a novelization, which is funny because that doesn't usually happen. Mm. Guillermo del Toro is going to co-write it himself. He used to do that all like yeah, they still do that now and then for like Star Wars movies. <laughs> I thought I heard something about that with, with Shape of Water. How like um, it wasn't necessarily just his idea that he had like agreed to work on it with some with an author. Ah, what was his name? Was it Daniel Kraus? I think he may have written that. They may have written that Troll Hunter book, Troll Hunters book that became that Netflix show together. Uh, yeah. I think that the whole movie came from a conversation they had. Um, of course, Guillermo always wanted to do like a movie where the monster got the girl because he thought that Creature from the Black Moon was a sad movie because the creature doesn't get the girl; he gets killed. Mm-hmm. So it's also it's, yeah, it's nice to get uh, like another happy ending to a movie I wouldn't expect a happy ending for. Yeah, I'll, uh, so let's talk about my number one movie of the year. How weird is it that they all just ended up <laughs> clustered right next to each other? Um, so mine was Star Wars The Last Jedi. Obviously, we've done a whole podcast talking about kind of our initial reaction to this movie. Um, for me, it hasn't, it has not changed. I still really love The Last Jedi. I went and saw it again. Really enjoyed it. You know, went to Christmas, argued with family members that it's a really good movie. Um, it's, um, it's great. I don't. I don't know if I really need to talk about. It. I mean, like, have your guys' feelings changed at all? Now do you have time to think about it? I mean, it was my number two. So not as much. You, yeah, your number two. <laughs> was it on your list, Con? I gave it an honorable mention. <laughs> Fuck you. I really <laughs> wanted to. I can't. I just like. I enjoy it when I'm watching it, but it's just like I think it's just impossible for a Star Wars movie to like stick with me. Like I can't like apply it to my life, and it's not gonna like linger in my brain. And like all these other movies, I'm like, yeah, that affected me in a in a deep kind of way. But with Star Wars, it's like, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and the way they, you know, just the way they went at this one was really great. And and I I. I I was so like into it when I was in the theater, but it's just not a movie I've carried out into the real world, which it was not the filmmaker's intention. And I would see this one again, actually. Like the last two Star Wars movies that came out, um, I was just like, okay, yeah, that was that was fine. <laughs> but no, this this is a very good Star Wars movie. I, I'm not gonna bash it on any level, really. Yeah, it's a great film. <laughs> I think there's yeah it's interesting it didn't yeah stay with you because like because for me it's like 
it made me feel like a kid again. Like there is like this magic that I is like so rarely see in movies that like it's funny. The first thing that I did after I watched it was I wanted to watch a bunch of movies that just made me feel the same way. Not necessarily mm-hmm. Star Wars. Like I went to I watched like a bunch of Indi- I watched Indiana Jones movies, you know, and I want to watch E. T. and all that stuff and all the Amblin movies. <laughs> it just it, it's it's nice to feel like a kid again because like regardless of what anyone says, I'm sorry, Star Wars are they're kid kind of supposed to be kids movies, okay? Mm-hmm. They're kids movies. <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it. They're excellent they're kids good movies. Kids movies. And I like feeling like a kid. <laughs> yeah. I got that uh, box of cereal last week, guys. You see that? Like I I wanted it because it came with this Star Wars spoon. <laughs> I got R two D two. That's a good one. I just want to feel young. <laughs> um, and the last movie I wanted to talk about was another superhero film, and that's uh, that's Wonder Woman. Um, like we were saying, it was a great year for superheroes. Logan also very good. Um, oh, uh, like I can't remember the last time I would have even considered putting one of the X Men franchise films on my list. Um, Probably back at a time when you saw like six movies <laughs> in a year. Yeah. Those movies were like X Men, like Zoolander. Well, that's it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like every DC movie since The Dark Knight Rises has been bad. Um, and then out of nowhere, Wonder Woman comes out and it's awesome and empowering. Like, I don't even think to to just women. I think any anyone who watches this um, and gets the core message of like, you can fight for something just because you believe in it, even if... Like, even if it's, even if you don't think you're going to like change the world, that's that feels good to hear. As I mean, especially in like the spring of 2017 when this came out, and you know we had just gotten everything that happened in 2016 turned into reality, and forced to live with that. You know, um, the World War One setting I think is also like really cool because. Everybody doesn't like World War One. It's just a total bummer. Just people dying meaningless deaths on a massive scale. It doesn't have the kind of like bullshit like good versus evil narrative that World War Two has. And and I think that's a great setting for what this Wonder Woman story was about. And also I really like the cast, especially Chris Pine, I thought was great as a sort of comic relief damsel in distress type <laughs> character. Um, I'm a big fan of Chris Pine these days. It's a good dude. And David Thewlis, who I did not see coming as the villain, despite the fact that I saw it, like, yeah, there's so much time had passed. Yeah. That's a spoiler, too, but again, so much time has passed yeah, since this movie time. came out. I don't know. I went that long without knowing it. Yeah. If I'm going to compliment something that I feel like most people probably don't compliment in this movie, it's nice to have like a movie that looks like it's in, like, in real places. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the Amazon world at the beginning is like they just filmed it in some grassy area. It's like I feel like this is a Justice League movie. It would have been so easy just to make that some CGI yeah, bullshit. And, and Justice League has scenes set in Themyscira, and there's so much more epic, but and also by effect, so much less real feeling. <laughs> you know, anytime they do practical shit, I feel like we're getting more of these days. It's because people are seeing movies from the early 2000s and realizing that this won't hold up in 10 years. Some of that stuff. Like Spider-Man flipping around in like the first Spider-Man movie or like Legolas jumping on the troll in the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. Like, 
That stuff never looked good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I remember as a kid, be like, "That's not a real person. <laughs> no way." I will not Wonder Woman for though for the video game boss battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be weird if that fight scene was more grounded though, because like we've already seen her fight in uh, Dawn of Justice, mm-hmm. and we know what that looks like. So, I think Patty Jenkins is doing the best she could. like again fucking miracle she did not get to choose her star or the story and she still made a movie that's like great like everything don just is so bad justice league pretty bad man of steel pretty bad suicide squad one of the worst movies of all time <laughs> this um like f- for that reason alone i had to put this on the list instead of logan mm-hmm. or thor ragnarok which i also really liked so we got to make some cuts, guys. Okay. Um, we guess we could cut the ones that were only on my list. Like, uh, I think Good Time was only like number seven on mine, and it didn't appear on your guys's. Um, Guardians for me. Yeah, and, and Wonder Woman for me. And while we're thinking about that, I will also mention there were three movies that were on um, individual lists that didn't make it into our conversation. Uh, so that was uh, Donald Cried, It, and Keddy. Three movies that we liked, but we're like, eh, it's not gonna make the list. We don't need to talk about it. Um, so with Wonder Woman and Guardians and Good Time Cut, how many are we at? Thirteen. All right. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's always the most fun part for people listening. We have a <laughs> Google spreadsheet. Follow them on there. One, two, three, four. Oh, whoa. Wow. Thirteen. Okay, so. Dunkirk was only on my list. It was like number six. You could get rid of that. Um, I guess Three Billboards was only on my list, right? We could cut that as well. Yeah. I think Columbus was only on my list, but it was pretty high. It was like number three. I think Call Me By Your Name was only on Jones. So it's between one of those, I guess. Um, well, I guess we could do both of those actually, and then we'll have ten. If we yeah, so if we lose three billboards and call me by your name, we'll have ten. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I'm down with that. <laughs> One, two, three. This is exciting because I don't have a laptop. I don't you have you guys. no control. Okay. Gotta count on you guys. We're not as savvy with with the clicks. John's got all the right, clicks. We have ten. Okay. Are they already in the right order? Uh, <laughs> Ghost Stories number one, but maybe. What if, what if they were just already in the right order? Be pretty weird. Oh, fuck, I don't know. That's uh, my answer. Yeah, as I said, Columbus was only on my list. Well, it was pretty high. Columbus so is only on your list. The Shape of Water is only on John's list, but this is number one. Yeah. Um, takes priority. Um, what's on everyone's list? Get Out's on everybody's list. Yeah. So. Is it on your list? Yeah, it was on my list. Okay, and Florida Project. And I think Blade Runner 2049, <laughs> oddly enough. Hmm. So what's kind of standing out as weak, then? I guess the big six kind of seeming kind of weak. It was uh, high on mine. It was high on mine as well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't on John's. Two. Um... um 
Ghost Story was on both of yours, right? Yeah. I could go Ghost, lower. Ghost Story was really good. And really unique. Was it on your list, though, Sean? It, it didn't make my list. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I As I said, I'm okay with Columbus being number 10. Okay, let's make Columbus number 10. glad I made the list. But is Mike Pence proud that I made number 10? Probably. You think with, without knowing anything about it. <laughs> he's just, like, making assumptions. <laughs> That's what you do when you're politics. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next, I don't know. I, Tanya, was only... It was my number 10. I was, like, in the middle of the list, right? Let's, let's, let's put that at number 9, though. Just... John didn't even see it, so Progress. he gives well, it zero out of ten. <laughs> well, I if assume. it's anything like Mr. Woodcock, guys, I'm sorry to say it's a disappointment. Well, <laughs> sorry you had such high hopes going into Mr. Woodcock. <laughs> I don't know. Uh Blade Runner is pretty high on your guys' list, right? It's my number two. Yeah. It was my number three? Yeah, okay. It was, like, number nine for me. Number nine. Seems like it should be pretty high on the list then. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> was, was Get Out high on your list? I think it was pretty low on mine. It was lower on you mine. Get Get Out next can tell John's having a great time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's do Get Out at number eight. Uh, bu- 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 <laughs> then uh, maybe Ghost Story? Number seven? For the sake of getting this done, let's do it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like low on mine. Yeah, there you go. But this makes sense. Is there... Uh, bu- 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 okay, so to recap, Blade Runner's on everyone's list. Mm-hmm. Ladybird is only on two of our lists, right? But it's yeah. high on the two that it is, and it's your number one. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Wars, very high on John and my list, but not on yours. So kind of like Ladybird situation. Big Sick, pretty high on both of our lists, not on John's. It's not anyone's number one, though. Florida Project, middle list for me. Middle list for me, I think, too. Yeah, me too. And then Shape of Water, only on John's list, but it's his number one. So it How seems like Florida, Florida Project, Project goes next. next. Yeah, and then maybe Big Sick. Yeah. Okay. And then you can probably do Shape of Water. Cool. Uh, that's probably Star Wars. Is it? It's up to you guys. I was expecting it to be number one, but I was expecting Blade Runner to be number one. That's odd, <laughs> but okay. I figured it'd be Ladybird. That's what you guys want. You thought it'd be Ladybird. Well, we all have we, different we all have different expectations. expectations. Okay, let's think about this again. So once again, Blade Runner, my number two, John's number three. I like that we're doing this purely based on mathematics. Colin's number ten, <laughs> right? Uh, what? It was, it was like your number ten. It was right? number nine. Number nine. So close. So, no, not not a number one for anyone. 
It's true. Ladybird, number one for you. I think it was number like four or five for me. Yeah. Absent from John's list, is that right? Mm-hmm. Star Wars. <laughs> My number one, John's number two, absent from Colin's list. I feel like if I'm going by the numbers, if I'm going by the numbers, Lady Bird should be number three, Star Wars should be number two, Blade Runner should be number one. Hmm. Means no. <laughs> what do you think? Honestly, it's like not what I'm gunning for, but it feels like Star Wars should be number one. Okay, if we made Star Wars number one, would it be Blade Runner number two, Lady Bird number Why do you three? want Star Wars over Blade Runner, Colin? I don't know. I just want Sean to be happy with the outcome of this list. <laughs> I already made my list. Because when will this Star ever Wars happen again? I don't know. Uh, but I think it's safe to say Lady Bird's number three, which I'm okay with. Okay, well, then I guess you could say I rank Star Wars above Blade Runner. John ranks Star Wars above Blade Runner. You are the only one who would rank Blade Runner above Star Wars. And so by that logic... Star Wars should be number one. That's what I was thinking. Mathematically speaking. Mathematically speaking. It's a very precise process. <laughs> Who cares about You emotions? okay with that, John? Why wouldn't I be okay with that? I don't know. <laughs> it's, just, it's just good to confirm. Okay. Um, so, the Mildly Please top 10 films of 2017 are at number 10 Columbus, number 9, I Tanya, number 8, Get Out. Number seven, A Ghost Story. Number six, The Florida Project. Uh, number five, The Big Sick. Number four, The Shape of Water. Three is Lady Bird. Number two is Blade Runner 2049. And number one, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. And you know what? Nancy wasn't here for this one, but I'm sure that that's the way he'd he want it to turn spirit, out to. For sure. Yeah. Um, and... In the world of the Last Jedi, being here in spirit, that's just as good as being there in real life. Um, thank you for listening to our um, end of the year podcast. I know they were kind of released a little later than we would have liked, but I think they were pretty good. They were fun to do, at least. Um, and hit us up soon. Hopefully, like within the next week, we're going to be doing um, our top 10 anticipated movies of 2018, which is always a real hoot. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, if you're interested in checking that out, you can subscribe to us on iTunes by uh, searching for Mildly Pleased, um, or just look us up on the web. Uh, our blog is at mildlypleased.com. Uh, thanks so much. I'll speak to you next time. In a voice.